My, my. At Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. Oh, yeah, and I've met my destiny in quite a similar way. The history book on the shelf is always repeating itself on the podcast. Hey, Yagar Mr. T. Oh, Yag Alskar Minigolf. Yeah, this is Tom. But I'm just getting excited to head over to Sweden in a week to play some mini golf. So I'm going to try my Swedish out now before I really botch it over there. You can find all the mini golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the pink putter at coupleputs.com and on social media at coupleputs. If you are looking for course and whole design work, check out minigolfdesigners.com. We got a bunch of the work that we've done for clients around the world, as well as a few museums. And you can find some merch at minigolfgoods.com. And I'm Pat, co-founder of the Minigolf website and social media conglomerate, The Putting Penguin. I'm also the media chair of the World Minigolf Sport Federation. And I, too, will be headed over to Sweden this year in August, though I probably won't be playing a tournament. I don't even know if I'll be playing any minigolf, and I'm certainly not going to be practicing my Swedish on the podcast. But I'm excited to head back anyway after four years away from that country. You can find all of our Penguin mini golf antics by looking for the Putting Penguin on most social media outlets. And while you're out there scrolling, don't forget to check out the WMF pages to stay on top of worldwide mini golf, as well as follow the podcast mini accounts. And finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. And unless you're under a rock, you know that this is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. You hear us talk a lot about the AMA all the time, and our ultimate goal is to bring more people into the world of competitive mini golf and to help to grow the game and to help grow the many fun parts of the game. Become a new member for free at amaminigolf.com. We just sent out all the new member cards in the mail this week from people that had registered towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And we'll be sending out some emails to all of our members who are active and inactive about the upcoming season soon. If you aren't sure if you're a member or whether you've renewed your membership for 2023, go on, head over to our website. Membership remains free through 2023 thanks to our membership sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf. And you can putt when ready. And before we go in to our theme of the episode, which is, so you want to organize a mini golf tournament. We're going to give you some advice on running your own tournament. We got a little bit of news and some recaps to do. I'm going to kick it over to Pat for our first really big announcement that maybe you've seen a little bit earlier, but maybe you haven't. Yeah, so the first one was last week at the time we were recording this. The WMF announced, um, well, actually, the World Adventure Golf Tour, which is partnered with the WMF, announced that they are having a new tour that is all about World Adventure Golf in 2023 into 2024. We did a really nice long live stream about that over on our Facebook page. I think at some point we'll get it over to YouTube as well, but we'll throw the links up in the episode notes. But the important thing to, for us is that one of our AMA tournaments, the Matterhorn International Pro-Am, which is held in September up here in Connecticut, is the only American stop on the tour this year. So if I have it correctly, and I should, it was 12 tournaments in 11 countries. So we get to be one of the 12, one of the 11. And the way it's going to break down is 
If you could play one of these tournaments and you win, you get an automatic bid to the tour finale in the Czech Republic in April of 2024. And then they're going to fill out the rest of the field based on ranking points. So a similar sort of system that we have with the AMA. We get into all sorts of details with Andrew Edmonds, who you might know from the 54 Problems podcast. He's one of the co-founders of the tour. So I would definitely go check that out. Go check out our social media. Go check out the WMF page because there's a whole press release around that that gets into the details. Definitely encourage people to follow that. We're obviously going to follow it very closely here on the podcast as they go through the year and really excited to see how this plays out because it also kind of ties into our main discussion about organizing mini golf tournaments because this kind of is part of that whole spirit as well is not just one tournament but multiple tournaments amen and let's let's keep the news uh international because you can go over and listen to our long conversation with andrew from last week on facebook is that i don't know when it happened but maybe a month or two ago that team usa that will be playing at the world adventure golf masters in austria was announced and it is 10 players plus Olivia Prokopova, uh, Samol, who will be a club player. And if we have the information correct, which I believe we do, it'll be Wade Samol, Tim Talley, Jeremy Anabinet, Brian Akers, Rick Baird, Finette Block, John Powell, Danny Tatum, Frank Bassesi, and Gary Hester. And all of this is what we saw as the list of people that Wade Samol had been sending out he is helping organize everything with the team this year including a fundraiser that they're doing they have been doing these fundraisers for team usa to help offset some of the costs for players going over as well as to help them get like a a kit is what you would call it i guess in the uk in most places like sort of gear to wear representing your country and like last year all of us AMA founders have contributed some money to the cause because we want to support Team USA. And I believe in total, somewhere around $500. And we're not saying this to brag, but we're saying this number because we would like to open up a friendly challenge to the USPMGA that helps determine Team USA through the Continental Championship at the Masters. They are our federation and the U.S. member of the WMF, so they help determine the team. And as of right now, as far as we know, they don't really contribute anything financially to Team USA, and we think they should. Why not? So Friendly Challenge is open to them. We would love to see them give 500, and frankly, we'd love to see them give more because you have people going from all over the U.S. You have Wade and Olivia going, and Danny for that matter, all traveling from Texas, lots of people from southern part of the United States, as well as Jeremy is coming from Chicago, and Frank, I believe, is in Indiana. So it's a lot of travel. It's a huge expense, especially compared to a lot of the Europeans where those flights are way cheaper to go from Sweden to Austria or Czech Republic to Austria or UK to Austria compared to Atlanta or South Carolina. So we would encourage you, if you know Wade, go contribute to him online. He'll let you know how you can Venmo money to support the team. But again, USPMGA, we're asking you to step up to the plate. Hit it out of the park. Support the team. This isn't a 
meant as a criticism. This is meant as an opportunity to really support all of these players who love mini golf and are supporting it by going out and playing the Masters and representing Team USA. Yeah, and in context, I mean, it, it probably is a bill of $1,500 to 2000 when you're talking about flights and food and Easily. even discounted hotel. And like you said, yeah, kits. I mean, you're, you're buying at least four or five polo shirts, other stuff. We try to get mini golf balls because those are used. You try to get some of those. So there, there's definitely a cost. And um, yeah, if you know Wade or just reach out to us at the podcast, we'll put you in, in, in contact with Wade and, um, you know, support them and go, go team USA, bring home some medals. Yeah. And oh, and rain gear probably too, based on last year in Finland. I mean, this stuff adds up. And so, I mean, as much well, as we luckily you don't team, have to have matching kit rain gear, they, they do give, cut you a break on what, uh, what you can wear during tournament days. Cause it was a little cold and rainy when I was in Sweden, but you were, <laughs> th there's certain things you are, you're required to have matching kits are cause you're a team. So you've got to get that, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's hats and shirts and whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge amount. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things. So, but as an individual, yeah, I mean, that could be an outlay and, and you know, these people, sign up for it because they want to represent their country. So anything we could do to them to help them out. And I know they're extremely gracious for it. And, um, you know, it just, if you don't got to worry about your financials, you can put all your, your heart and soul into playing a good game. Amen. And one of those people who will be playing for team USA, Brian acres is also a person that hosts tournament down in the Atlanta area for the putters league Atlanta and we had mentioned last episode that they were going to have an upcoming event here in April. Due to unforeseen circumstances, they are going to have to delay it, and they're pushing their Putters League Championship out to July 15th. So it gives you all a little bit more time to play in a white tournament in the southern part of the U.S. We don't have a lot of tournaments in you know, the southern part of the U.S., but this is one of them, and Pat... You have an announcement because we have at least one other tournament in the southern part of the U.S. that's very new. Yeah, so just had a chance to, to talk with the coaster owner today over at Longview Greens in Texas, and we're going to be bringing on board the Texas Mini Golf Championship, which is held later this month, the 29th and 30th of April, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Um, so this is our first event in texas we, we tried really hard last year but we actually got one here um this is their third year they've actually got a pretty good prize purse they've upped it to five thousand dollars but honestly the coolest part about their tournament and i told jason this when we talked earlier today is the winner gets an unbelievably yes. awesome belt buckle and i don't care who you are you're gonna go out and get a belt and you're gonna wear that with a pair of jeans and buy yourself some cowboy boots if you win that thing because it is awesome looking um if anybody's ever followed like rodeo or something it's that type of style of winning um so extremely unique uh but you're gonna have to be a lot of great putters to get that they had over 60 competitors last year um it's part of the southwest putters tour schedule mm -hmm. and i'll circle back to that in a second because um, we want to give them some love as well um in terms of that tour but folks who play in that tour we've got jeff moss wade and olivia who we've mentioned rainy statum who's obviously a multiple major winner lee messenger jody kimball bryce bergenson um there's 
probably a ton of other great Texas players yeah. that I'm not even thinking of. The course looks awesome. Never had a chance to play it, but all the pictures we've ever seen. And I know Wade and Olivia talk very highly of the course as well. And Jeff. So, um, great group of people, really competitive event. We're really looking forward to it. Really happy that we've got it on the AMA schedule. Mentioned the Southwest putters tour. Uh, so that's a, you know, regional putting tour that they've had for a while. I don't even know how long that's been around. It's primarily mm-hmm. putt, but they've been doing events at other places. Um, they, I know they started going to cool crest a couple years yep. ago. They just had that event where Olivia ended up winning. Um, so they have this event. So, you can find them also out on Facebook and kind of give them a follow, especially if you're in any of the area where they play. Um, I know they would love to have more people involved in their their tour and everything as they work through the year there. And um, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a great event. We're very excited to have them on, land it. You'll see the stuff probably by the time we get this out on our event page and have posted it on social media and everything. And uh, a great chance to get some AMA points for all our folks in Texas in that general area. Yeah. And it's, it's in Montgomery, Texas, the Longview greens miniature golf course. And it's about an hour North of Houston, about two and a half hours East of Austin and about, I think it's three hours South of Dallas. So it's sort of a little bit in the middle of everything, but you know, if you're over in Louisiana, it's not like a crazy drive. I know that like Jody Kimball comes down from Oklahoma, I believe, when he's playing. So we expected, I think last year, I think you mentioned it, but if you hadn't, there's like 60 or so people that competed last year. So they get a really, really good turnout for this event. And uh, yeah, we're happy to give scoring points out to this event and hoping to add more events uh, down in Texas and across the country as time goes on, because for the AMA, it's for us, really important to give multiple opportunities for people to earn points just because our goal is with our scoring system is to try to suss out who are the better putters around the country. And they are surely quite a few of them deep in the heart of Texas. So our other big piece of news we're going to talk about is we have a big event coming up in Myrtle Beach. In fact, we have two. We have the WPL coming up and Correct me if I'm wrong, Pat. That is on 420. As far as we know, that's what they've posted. 420, a one-day event this time. Okay. And I don't, I mean, they really need to get, if they're going to do gambling, let's just go all in and get a weed sponsor on 420 during Oh, the, wow. Uh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that would be perfect. World League. I mean, I think it'd be pretty awesome, but, you know, I thought... There's something there. I'm I'm just going to say it. I think there's like an audience of people that would just like to sit back, smoke a joint and like watch some mini golf. Like that's that that's that seems wholesome. But for real, you know about the World Putting League and much like last event, we don't have like a ton of details, but we know it's going to be at Hawaiian Rumble on the 20th and it's going to be followed and it's going to be a one-day event. Stroke play, and I think the way they're going to do it is doing reseeding like last time. I assume they're not going to like overcomplicate it and keep the rules that way. But yeah, and then the following two days, the 21st and 22nd, they are going to hold the U.S. Open on the pineapple course. And correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, that's eight rounds? Um, I think so, but I'm going to put a pin in that for a second because I just pulled up the World Putting League website 
And it says 36 golfers. Cool. That's more than the 24 yeah. or whatever they had last time in four rounds. But that math doesn't quite work if you're doing two rounds and then getting it to eight because eight to four to two would be three more rounds. So I don't know. Anyways, as always, great stuff from their website. But um, it'll be I mean, the, well, hopefully it's going to be broadcast again and people can watch it. And, you know, we'll be well, I won't be tuning in. I'll be in Sweden and we'll get to that in a second. But but yes, but going back to the US, US yeah. Open, it is it is eight rounds. It's three, two and three. Um, so morning, afternoon and morning over the 21st and 22nd. So we've got three days of back to back mini golf down in um Myrtle Beach at the end of or almost the end of April. And one more little piece of news because we can go a while in talking about mini golf is that uh, I've mentioned it earlier, but the City Golf Tour, hosted by City Golf in Sweden, they are a mini golf course design company. Uh, you might have heard their interview with some of the people involved with it in the Fifty Four Problems podcast a little bit back, but they have their tour. That's going to be starting very shortly. It's going to be, I believe, the 21st and 22nd as well. All I know is I'm going to Sweden on the 17th. Or no, it's the 22nd and 23rd. That's right, because I fly back the 24th. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get this figured out. There's all <laughs> sorts of time zone changes, new languages, first time playing abroad. But I'm going to be playing in the tournament. There's going to be a lot of international players as well as some of the top players in the world who, surprise, surprise, are Swedish that are going to be playing in Sundbyberg, Sweden. It's just north of Stockholm, and the city golf course there looks great. If you check out Frank Bassesi's YouTube channel, which I believe is now called Frankie Buckets, it's the Sundbyberg BGK course he kind of walks through the whole course and you can see it's very ace friendly and I was just talking with Pat before we started recording that the average rounds are mostly in the 20 so I'm excited to be playing if for no other reason that I might get another score in the 20s but it's going to be six rounds if I'm correct over two days I, I yeah it's six rounds for some reason I thought I saw seventh round but just imagining things, but um, I'm excited. I'm going to give a full report when I get back and maybe we'll uh, bring on some guests. We'll probably do some sort of broadcasting from there. I like middle of the night us or something, but <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled. I've never played overseas before, so it's going to be something. Yeah. And then they usually have band golf links. So, you know, we'll, yes. we'll throw that up on socials when we get it so that we could all follow you, Tom, because I'm going to be very interested to see how you do. No, 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 no. You're going to be watching Ale Alexander Molina, Hans Olofsson. Yeah. You're going to be watching. Um, I know how those guys do. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be at the, uh, you're going to see Gunnar. You're going to see Sevi. You're going to see all those guys, probably even Andrew, a lot of a lot of folks from the UK, uh, Czech Republic, are going to be over there. So it'll be fun. And I believe Frank will be over there and maybe Mike Johnson as well. So there'll be a little oh, nice. bit of U.S. representation. But uh, yeah, lots to talk about later this month when I get back. But uh, for right now, we're going to jump into our main topic, which is, so you want to organize a mini golf tournament. And why are we talking about this? Because 
you would be surprised about how many people have reached out to us in the last year or two between running our own tournaments and or, you know, starting the AMA, we get a lot of people reaching out that are like, hey, I have this course and we would really love to start running tournaments. It's been something we've been thinking about for a while and we really don't know what to do. And we get these questions all the time. And for the people that are listening, a lot of them, it just feels like intuitive and this is just what you do, but it's not as common out there because frankly, the competitive game of mini golf is still very much in a growth period. And there's a lot of different ways of running it. So we thought, why not give some advice on running tournaments? And these are just little pieces. Um, we'll, we'll mention it again later, but if you have questions, reach out to us on social media. We're happy to point to tournaments in your area if you're looking for tournaments and or advice just on organizing your own. But uh, part of it is we're going to jump into that conversation right now and I'll let Pat talk about our first like kind of talking point where it all gets started. Yeah, it's because in order to have a tournament, you have to have a course to play on. And like Tom said, some of the people who reach out are the course owners. So obviously they've got a little bit more direct impact in terms of how you can use the course. But, you know, we still have many golf fanatics and even ourselves who don't own courses who've gone out and tried to get locations, um, especially if you're in an area that doesn't have a tournament, you may be sitting there going, well, I got a decent relationship with the course. Maybe I'll do this. And there's a lot of different ways to, to do it. And really understanding what you're going to have for the course will drive a lot of the other ways you set up the tournament. Um, you know, the, the best way to have it is obviously you have a situation where you've got the full use of the course. It's locked off to the tournament players for a certain amount of time. You don't have the public involved. You know, there's certainly pros and cons to that from a course owner perspective. A lot of times you end up doing that on like shoulder seasons because they don't want to lose money, obviously, from their tournaments. But, you know, a lot of times you get do get folks who are invested in it. I mean, I think of places like Put You, who does their tournament in the middle mm -hmm. of the summer or Tabers. And so it all depends on what you're going to have, but you can have that. And then you can have all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you're really doing your tournament around the public. And, you know, that's something you can do too. You just have to understand what the pitfalls that of that might mm -hmm. be and create your courses around there. So really just making sure you've you're talking with the course owners or your course, if you are a course owner, you're, that you're really setting, okay, this is how I want to do this tournament, what I'm in for, how I want to manage my business around it, um, and understand that as the platform and then start to build everything out on that. And that leads us into kind of the format type things that we can think of. Yeah. And, you know, Pat kind of touched on is just the availability of the course makes a big difference. And if the course owner's like, hey, we can't close the course to the public, that shouldn't be like a non-starter. I think there's some people that believe that, but the fact of the matter is most people don't have a ton of course options that are good for tournaments or are in condition that you should be playing a tournament on it that you kind of got to work with the owners. So Maybe you are playing to the public. Maybe you are using 
the second course instead of the main course. So I think it's it, that's part of the conversation. And, you know, most people, what they're doing for tournaments is they're doing a stroke play, and it's over a series of rounds. I would say you need to do at least two rounds. I think there's some exceptions. We have Lily Putt in Minnesota that has a par of 66 and a course record of 46 with a lot of really tough holes and not aceable holes that you could do a round in there and feel good about it. We even have a real grass putting course called Centennial Lakes that has 150-foot-long holes that two rounds of that probably takes longer than four rounds on a conventional course where you can score in the 30. So, you know, consider the format around what the course you have that's available and you can do some unique formats. You can do an aces only round where you only play the hole as an ace and you can play a whole tournament that way. If you want, you want to do something quick and fun. You can obviously do stroke play. As we mentioned, you can do teams, you can do match play, you can do all sorts of things and bonus activities to really, you know, keep things interesting and fresh. A lot of the organizations that do events throughout the year do that. Like, for example, the Show Me Putters have, I believe they have a doubles event. I know that they have an aces only event. I believe they have a match play event. You can set up in a bracket kind of like March Madness. And it's, a fun way to keep things interesting, especially, frankly, with most people, they don't have a lot of courses at their disposal for people to play on. And sure, you can do a weekly couple rounds thing over and over. But I think if you're wanting to keep people compelled, change up the format. It gives an opportunity for some unexpected surprises, an opportunity for people to win here and there. I think the one thing on that, we'll talk about a little bit on a couple of these things, though, is... If this is your first time doing a tournament, just keep it simple. Yeah. Do a couple rounds yes. of stroke play. Everybody knows what they're doing there. And then as you build out that tournament, you can look for yes. additional things to kind of keep everything fresh going on. But if you're more seasoned and you've run yes. tournaments or been the tournaments, then yeah, like go for whatever you think is going to float the, the best uh, participation and most fun out there. And and frankly, that's that that's a great thing. Is like our first year of the miniest mini golf open was in 2020 during COVID, and we really wanted to keep down the numbers of people that were participating before there were vaccines out there. And so we knew people wouldn't be all that comfortable. So we kept it to a qualifying period where we would get the best scores. And I think it was our top ten played for the championship. That was relatively easy to do. It was an easy lift for the course. It was a little bit harder to lift for us as organizers, but then we only did a single round championship to really limit people's exposure and being around to each other. And it was fun. So, I mean, that worked. It gave people numerous opportunities and a way for you to determine the winner where it's not just like one single round, like you would play with a group of friends. So it, it keeps the stakes up, but you know, as, as you're going on, you might want to look at having some other divisions and recognizing people. So within that, you know, consider having different divisions, whether it's amateur or novice, juniors, seniors, women's, and other divisions where you can pull out within your field and recognize different groups of people. I think it's also, you know, going back to what I said earlier, 
Know your audience. There can be too much of a good thing. And for most people, six rounds is too much. Six rounds of mini golf is going to be a deterrent to the public at large. And you have to think about what what are you looking to do? If you are looking for the diehard, big-time mini golf sickos that just love the game, you'll get them with six rounds. But if you want the public at large, I think anything over three rounds, you're going to have people being like, I've never spent this much time on a mini golf course. And that's going to make it really harder for people to consider joining. I know that a lot of people listening are like, what are you talking about? But we play in local leagues and we see the difference between a two-round tournament at tea time for the $1,000 championship versus seeing the results from some of these tournaments that are like super long and it's like 10, 15 people. Well, we've seen it with Matterhorn. I mean, we we dropped the pro round from five to three. And I know some of our diehard folks would have liked to keep it at five. And, you know, with this World Pro League and everything, we may, um, or the, the World Adventure Golf Tour, not the World Pro League. That's a different thing. <laughs> There's too many world things at the putting world that we've been talking world about. World of putting. Yeah. Um, you know, we may look at extending that, but that was one of the things we found that people were hesitant to play in the pro division because those extra two rounds were done after lunch. And so it meant they had to spend additional time at the course. We're in September. It's Uh heavy fall sports, you know, so there was a, just a block of time people had. And when we reduced it to three rounds a couple of years ago, not only did it work out for me because I won that tournament, but we also <laughs> got more participation in the pros because it was just easier for people to get through. And now you juxtapose that a little bit with like the Dolphin Open who plays 10 rounds over two days, but part of it is, you know, they're in a, um, you know, resort area, well, not a resort area, but, you know, a tourist area up in Maine. It's the fall. People will travel up there for the whole weekend. So you kind of have them, you know, stuck there for lack of a better term. And so playing for two days was really nothing because people had already made that commitment to get up there. And you had locals who, as the season was winding down, didn't have as many commitments to their businesses. So it kind of goes back to knowing your audience really well is what are they going to buy into? And again, you may strike out the first year and hopefully you have enough to keep you going for the next year and you adjust it. But I think for the most part, if you're going, like Tom said, you're going for a normal tournament, three rounds is more than most people will have ever played of mini golf in one day in their lives. Mm -hmm. And anything beyond that does seem to start to wear people down to where it's just not fun for them anymore. And that's the last thing you want to do. And, and I almost kind of forgot about this, but, Two years ago when I was out at the Jersey Shore and stayed in Long Beach Island, what I found out, and this isn't a common thing at all in the Midwest that I've heard of, is that each course pretty much on the island had a weekly morning tournament. It was an earlier time during the day on a weekday where they would open up the course, they would have a score go through with groups of people, and the winner would get like a little trophy, maybe a gift card, maybe a t-shirt. They weren't massive stakes, but for these courses that usually aren't that busy that early in the day when people are headed out to the beach, I think at Flamingo there was like a hundred people there. It was just a massive, massive amount of people. They would go to the shore every year as a family and that would be their event. That's a great way to get people on your course engaged in competitive mini golf 
And heck, maybe you're inviting those people back to a bigger event down the road. You're not going to get them all to come back, but it's all about building up so you can get more of those people that are the diehards for the more competitive diehard tournaments, but you have to start somewhere. And right now with the game of mini golf, we're not there yet. We're not there at all. I mean, we have barely any tournaments that are coming close to a hundred, let alone 50 people. And there's lots of room for it to grow. And it's a matter of, in some ways of getting it out to people, but part of what's going to incentivize people is going to be a mix also of what's the cost to play and what are your prizes. Easiest way to do it is money in, money out. If you have a relationship with the course, you can use all or a good chunk of that entrance fee to put into your prize purse to give away. Keep in mind, if you're an organizer and the course isn't necessarily all in, they're going to probably want some cut of that money. They're going to, they're letting their course be used for this event. Sometimes they don't see the marketing opportunity or benefit of running these courses. And so you have to think, how much do they need per person? In some cases, they'll maybe give you a rate that's comparable to like a group rate per person and then let you take the balance of that money. And again, it's really important to get that support. Ideally, maybe get some sponsors to come in, offset some of those expenses or help bump up the purse. Pat, what's been your experience about getting a good purse in a tournament? Because for me, with most of the tournaments we've been working on, the courses have taken a chunk of the money to kind of account for them having people playing games at like a discounted rate and then pulling the purse as whatever profit is extra that we're charging for those rounds. Yeah, I've had a mix. So, I mean, we've had some of the tournaments that we did early on where we didn't really have a relationship with the course where we had to pay a fee and you know, we were lucky and we kind of negotiated a flat fee that wasn't too terrible. Again, we were still kind of outside the busiest times for them so that really if they weren't getting it from us they probably weren't getting a whole lot more yeah. anyways but yeah there was still a point and that was a point too where we were running pretty much everything in and out like we didn't have a lot of extra sponsorship there you know we're lucky with Matterhorn Autumn's really all in on having the tournament um, we try to make sure that we get as close as possible to break even for the dollars that go out. But I know that she spends money on the trophies and a lot of the other mm -hmm. goodies. You know, we're from a putting penguin perspective, we're also really lucky that we're at a point in our lives where, you know, tournaments are important to us. So we put money in to it as well to kind of drive some of that up. Like we fund the the skins tournament that we do after, I mean, also knock on wood, I've been lucky enough to win some of the money at the <laughs> tournament. So it's just, it's basically money in money out and then money back in again <laughs> to go back out again. So it, it's going to depend a little bit, but I think those are some of the more rare cases. And then all the way to dolphin where, you know, when Lee was alive and running it, he heavily you know, relied on sponsorships from the local businesses. I mean, he was a, a very big, um, you know, person in that local tourist business area. So everybody knew him. They got good advertising. They put on the scorecards, all that sort of stuff. And so he was able to use that to really drive up 
what he had for purses there as well. Um, but again, kind of a unique situation in terms of longevity and what your chorus owners were. So, I mean, I think it's, it is really going to depend. I think you've got some chorus owners and I think of like, you know, Randy at Put You who value the tournaments and they're not going to go crazy with the amount of money that they can put in yeah. or will want to put in, but you probably will have a little bit more leeway there than if you're just trying to set up something with either a, a nameless organization or something that's a little bit more corporate out there. But I mean, I guess the, you know, we'll talk about a little bit here in terms of some of the things that you can do to fill the gaps for dollars. It's not always about dollars, right? Like I mean, yes. we've certainly seen that the big prize pools don't necessarily equate to a great tournament. Um, and then you juxtapose that with, what are you spending to get in? You know, somebody who's spending $20 to get into a tournament, the expectation of prize pools is a little bit different than if you're asking for 50 or $60 to come in. Right. And, you know, as we talked with Brock from the national putting tour in our last email, he was joking about how everybody at pop stroke before they even played around was already $1,500 in the hole just due to travel lodging and all those expenses. So, in some ways, just trying to get your purse to this extraordinary level is never going to win out. People are not making a money in mini golf tournaments that's really going to offset their living expenses. Everybody is doing this on the side right now and as a passionate thing. So I think a lot of it is about what can you do for other prizes that can be fun and some of them are handmade trophies. My wife for, you know, Robin of a couple of putts, she makes really cool trophies and she's able to make them. We've seen Mick Cullen for the MC Mini Masters, uh, you know, employ the talents of people that are involved in his tournaments and dedicated RJ Duzak, I think two years ago or three years ago, made these cool little trophies that I think he laser cut. I think I've I want to say maybe they, they, they were even doubled as cribbage boards or something, but oh, nice! I you know, and and if they haven't, then that's an option, and <laughs> you know, you can be really creative with that. And you know, with Mick with his tournament, we've had him on in the past. He does like a six round tournament at six different courses, and he's had a trophy for the best round at every course. And the way that he divvies them out, if there's ties, is get a trophy to a person that might not have gotten one already. I'm sure there's people being like, whoa, what are we going to give a trophy to everyone? It's like, well, I think it's about recognizing everybody. If you have two people that did really well on a course, one of them already won a trophy, the other had not, and they had the same score, you know, they both know that they, you know, tied, and maybe you give some hardware to someone to go home with. And sometimes it can be nice to do the hardware or the giveaway and like a white elephant prize, because that's what Mick would also do. He would give them a trophy and then this wrapped up thing. And it wasn't always just the person who played the best, but he's had a tournament now going for 26 years where it was the person who had the most improved score. And they'd pick a wrapped prize out of a box, and it was all the Scoovy stuff that Mick had thrifted. And, it, you know, it's something where he maybe spent... $20 and it's just silly stuff. But I think from my perspective, when I looked at it, it's like he thought about those things. 
He put some effort into it. And now when you have that trophy, it's sitting on your desk at home or whatever, it means more than whatever money someone paid for it because it connects with this experience and an achievement in the same way that a trophy is. So sometimes like a white elephant type of thing can gift can be like a real trophy. Or take, yeah, or you take that stuff and make it into a trophy. Um, I had completely forgot about this because we had the unfortunate um, timing of doing a Christmas tournament at a blacklight course the same exact day as <laughs> Sandy Hook here oh, in Connecticut. No. So, but we did have some people, but my buddy ended up winning and it, the, the guy had put together a trophy that was basically just like an old stuffed penguin that he had and like a couple golf balls and glued it to a piece of like... So you could do stuff like that, um, or you can do raffle prizes. Like I know up in Maine, um, mm -hmm. they're really good about just like, hey, every once in a while, they've got some extra gift certificates or whatever, yep. and Nancy will just pull names like during the tournament. Um, and then I think even more so for some people, like I think of Farmington and in in Matterhorn, they both do this and Farmington doesn't, I mean, their top prize is like a hundred bucks, but they've been doing their tournament for 40 years. And one of the things that gets people coming back there is every year they have the full list of all 40 tournaments that's on display and you can kind of see your name there. And the same thing with Autumn, she engraves the trophy that's, it's like the Stanley cup, the trophy that sits in the clubhouse, your name goes on there and then the amateur division goes on there. So even if you're not, coming home with a lot of money, like everybody who walks through that sees that you won a tournament there and you won the pro tournament. And for some people, like that's a motivating factor beyond anything else you can give them. And I also think like the trophies and stuff, I think we're in a nice place in this day and age with some of the internet stuff because you can get stuff pretty cheap now, right? Like it wasn't always the case. You would have to go to a trophy shop. That stuff was expensive. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a little bit of benefit. But yeah, I think there's... The money part is important when you're trying to drive people in from a larger radius, right? Because they have to spend money to get there. But your local community, I think you can draw a lot of people in with non-monetary aspects pretty easily. And you just got to be creative and be smart about it. Like you said, that like the white elephant stuff, there, there was thought and purpose put behind that. And here's two quick tips. A... Thrift stores sometimes end up with trophies that can be repurposed oh, very yes. easily or a coffee mug tipped over with a action character glued on top and some bright gold spray paint. All of a sudden, you have a trophy. I've seen people do really, really creative things. And frankly, they're a lot more fun. Like a bunch of locals won the can can cup and they won some money and I was like their coach and they gave me the trophy and I looked really close at it. That's exactly what it was. They took like a soup can and they spray painted it gold and it's great. And you know, there's other companies out there that have novelty putter trophies that you can use as giveaways and all sorts of things you can do. But at the end of the day, the money isn't everything for the people playing and so just when you're setting the money, set it to be realistic, achievable, and repeatable. Because the biggest thing that we've seen is people come out the gate, they come out swinging, and they're like, all I have to do is put up $5,000. All I have to do is put up $1,000. It's going to draw people's attention. They've never played mini golf for it. In many areas, that's true. But then the course 
gets the reality of how many people are playing, feel confident enough to play in this kind of a tournament, or even consider it, and they don't make back that amount of money. So they're out that money. If you start out with a couple hundred bucks or whatever, you can grow that. If you start out with a couple thousand dollars and you dial it back, it already feels like a loss. So you're almost better off starting off with something either lower or just something realistic that you can commit to. If you can commit to losing $500 as a business once a year on an event, great. If no one shows up and or one person shows up and they got it, which I don't that would be a weird tournament scenario where you just <laughs> give them the money. You know, you have to be aware that's a possibility and you go from there. I mean, we just saw the putting world event that happened that they had 52 people. I'm doing the uh, math here and they had 52 people play at 300 bucks each. And that was $15,000. And so they were able to give away $10,000 and I think cover it all. So good for them. But I, I believe Pat and I were talking about the math of the masters and the purse for the masters is about 30 grand. But if you add up what the entry fees are, it's about half of that. And again, they're offsetting that because they have three businesses that are getting larger sponsorships across Myrtle Beach, including like Coca-Cola and Chromax and all of that. And that's how they're running it. And that's where they've invested their effort. So be creative, but money isn't everything also. So on to, uh, on to the rules, which they're important to have and they're important to have available. But I think Pat said something earlier and and what's that it's keep them simple i mean most people know how to play mini golf most people know the very basics around mini golf right like you get relief from the edge i mean people have been through some of that stuff so use that to your advantage because as an organizer you're going to have to realize the more complicated that everything that you make you have to stay on top of throughout the entire tournament so if you make some really weird rules about tee boxes or out of bound, like you not you have to enforce it and you have to be there to make the judgments. And so that it's not only simpler for the player, it's simpler for you as the organizer to go with what most people know. Um, now I guess the caveat for that is each individual course is going to have something quirky, right? Like I think of at Matterhorn, some of the stuff that we think through is like okay on the tennis hole the ball can get stuck on a tennis racket. How do you say where it goes in? Is it an extra stroke? So there, there's some stuff that is beyond the, okay, you just move with the scorecard or you use a tee box. Well, even the tee boxes at Matterhorn, some of them are very defined in terms of starting before the bricks. Others we've had to tape out and do that. So I think one of the things is you know, walk through your course, look at every single hole, Think about, okay, is this just very straightforward or is there something that I'm going to have to have a ruling on or I want to draw people's attention to? You get some of the classic stuff, I think, like when we play at tea time, right? If you get the ball that's like stuck directly under an obstacle, what do you do there? You know, all those sorts of things. But even some of that stuff, I think, is natural from how you're playing as well, Um but that's that's the framework like for me and we'll talk about some of the other things but keep it as simple as you can and make sure you understand your course so that you can give good advice and good rulings 
throughout the course of the tournament and it'll make your life as an organizer so much easier. And I think amongst like the keeping it simple and planning for the quirks is also embrace the course that you're doing the tournament at. I think we have like a local league that, you know, the golf zone where we hold our tournament, when they hold their events there, there are holes that are played by the public as a possible zero and other holes where there are two different cup placements that they heavily define. And to me, I think that's a silly way of approaching it because if you're the average person who's playing that course and just stepping up and playing it, they're going to play it the most intuitive way. There's two cups. I can play both. There's no rule that tells me any differently. To put something else is adding stuff that's not already there. Same with the zero shots. There's signs that well-define where you can make the zero shots. Just go with it. Some of that stuff gets complicated if you start to use online scoring and all of that but you know again you can work around all of that but to me i like the tournaments to come out of it where the result of the tournament you can have an official course record you have people that are verifying it potentially and we'll talk about that and you can hold that really up as a celebratory thing for your tournament having course record so kind of knowing the course and planning for the quirks, but also like celebrating the course as is. Right. And there's no reason to try to make a course more difficult for tournament conditions. Yes. Right. Like we're not playing the freaking U S open and the PGA, right? Like that has, that's set up a specific way. And maybe, maybe you get to points years down the road where you do something that's special that way, or, you know, you've built up, but like for most people, the course and even for the best pros i mean you look at even stuff like rumble which played normally could quote unquote be easier for the pros but is still a challenge and pretty much any course out there how it's set up naturally is challenge enough and if everybody's shooting 25s like you might on a city golf course who cares because to win you're gonna have to shoot a 22 and that's really what the difference is so there's no reason to think you've got to make it different than the way it was designed. And if you really don't like the course, then pick a different course to have a tournament on. Yeah. Yeah. I And it's funny. I've seen more organizers who don't play that try to be clever for the sake of being clever. And they don't think of the players and what it it is to play the course itself. Like when people are like, it's too easy. It's like, how many rounds of 18 have ever been played on that course? Probably none. So it's always out there. But I think where you really stamp it home, no matter how you run it, is having clear communication. It's gotten us in trouble in saying that you should have clear communication <laughs> on this podcast, but it's really important. Having rules meetings, having printed rules and sheets, and just being available for questions like that stuff is going to be important for players because as much as they've played that course really well in practice and they've tried to work out every scenario we've all been in that position where you hit a ball and you're like crap what do i do from here and some of those positions are crap what does this mean whether it's lily putt sometimes you can sit on the edge of a rock trap doesn't mean to pull it out it's a penalty or because it's touching the turf, you get relief from it. 
I there's all sorts of rules like that that if you don't spell them out, it's going to be really complicated. And in some cases, I I did rules for a tournament that they ran at Can Can Wonderland, and the reality of how quirky that novelty course was is they probably were going to have to put a copy of each hole's rules at each hole in addition to probably giving each person a set of the rules in addition to probably running through them. It might also make you reconsider using that course, but, you know, with some courses, there's just going to be a lot of personality and uniqueness that you have to deal with, and all that personality and uniqueness can make that course more attractive, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a lot more work for you spelling it out. Well, and I think two things on this point. One is, if you're doing this right, well, and especially if it's the first year, but even in subsequent years, there is always somebody who's playing your tournament for the first time. Yes. So you have to assume that they don't know anything. Yes. And so that you always go through the rules in detail every time. Um, and allow and for questions. And allow for questions. And I'll be honest, even in our smaller dolphin group over the past few years, we still go through the rules, even though those people have been playing for years and years, because we still find stuff that we either don't remember or, you know, we do come like if there's a dozen of us, we come to a consensus that we're going to play a different way. But like we talk it out and we've done six years of Matterhorn and each year we find a new thing that we hadn't considered before because it happens to somebody in practice. I think this year there was... There's like a little spot on the tennis court where the ball can actually get stuck behind one of the tennis balls, but technically it's touching green. So it's in, but like, because it bounced up and went down, you're like, oh, all right, well, we got to figure that one out. Like that was a new one. And so my rule list has just kept growing and growing. But I mean, again, that'll keep you more sane as it goes through. You know, people may not always have the printed rules on them, but at least you have them available. And yeah, the, the contact as an organizer and it doesn't necessarily have to be people who aren't playing, right? Like I rely when I do Matterhorn on people like Aaron or highlighter or Justin, like I trust them. They know the rules. They are willing enough to be somebody who, especially just in within their group or the group ahead or the group behind, like they can cover a period that they, somebody can go to and whatever ruling they're make, I'll be comfortable with it. Um, yes. you know, it's not, none of us are at like the WMF level where there's official referees who can yeah. wander around. I mean, if you are great, <laughs> even, even better, but I guarantee you, if you're running a tournament, there's some level of people that you can tap on the shoulder and be like, Hey, if somebody's got a question and I'm on the other side of the course, can you help me out here? And, and going to that, you're going to have people that it's their first time really defining who it is and letting people know who it is in advance is a sense of comfort because they're those people playing for the first time. I've seen them. They've had some really good rounds where we have events that have qualifying and they have a really tough championship and they're nervous. And it's because they're not amongst friends. They're in a competition. People can be like a little less loose if it's a really like high stakes or they're really pumped up for it or really focused. And so I think just letting people know like, hey, you know, I'm here and, you know, here to help and kind of going into giving people an assurance of, you know, how things are being run is have some also checks and balances for scoring. We ran into this in our local league as well because we were using this 18 birdies app, which I don't necessarily recommend. It's nice because you can have a live leaderboard, but 
someone has like, you know, miskeys a score and you only have one person keying per group, mistakes get made and it's nothing malicious. And so the common way that most tournaments run it is that with every group, each person in the group scores everybody in the group. And then you agree on a scorecard. You don't run into, you get five holes past a hole and then you're like, oh crap, I forgot to write it down. Uh, I think I got a one. And if you're the only person scoring it, you're putting yourself in a weird spot and everybody else, but with two, three people, someone's going to have it. And, you know, especially with three, you're, you know, you're going to have two people that can say, Hey, no, I didn't see that. But ultimately you're, you're wanting to assure everybody else that they can feel confident about the scores that are coming out of your group and that the results are fair because it's a competition at the end of the day. And if it's, you know, you see so many people complain about refs and sports or bad calls and all of this. And this is a way that mini golf can avoid it, that it really comes down to the players and nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it's really simple. I mean, most of the time you should have a scorecard anyways, because a lot of the tournaments use that as you're spacing off the walls. So you're going to have one in your pocket or somewhere on you. And yeah, I mean, it's just, if everybody writes it down and you check at the halfway point and you check at the end, not to say that mistakes won't happen, but you are minimizing that as much as possible. And it also like, again, from a organizer perspective, not that I want to always put the onus on the players, but I don't like being in a position as an organizer where I read a scorecard and the score is ultimately wrong. And I've got to make a determination. Well, which score do I give them? Do I give them the, like, you know, if their math is wrong or, you know, if, if something's like, and a lot of times you can go, depending on the tournament, if it's a smaller tournament, it makes a lot of times easier to go back and, and talk with a group and say whatever, but like, you don't want to be in a position where you have to mark something down and have somebody be like, well, I thought I did this. And you're like, well, yeah, no, but you didn't do your scorecard that way. Yeah. And the last thing about the rules that I had as a note was, if possible, publish the rules as far in advance as possible so that if someone is coming out to practice a month before or a day before or a week before, they know the rulings. They know where the relief is. They know how to play the ball because ultimately they're going to practice the same way they expect to play. And I can tell you, like, again, you know, with our quirky local league, I think the thing that drove me the most nuts was that there weren't a lot of really well-articulated rules placed, and I would go to a course and play it the way that I would have expected to play in any other tournament, and then they were completely different. I would have practiced very differently had that been the case. And some of those people might not opt to play if those rules are really weird there are some courses that say you can only use house putters i think there's a lot of serious putters out there that are like sorry i'm out and i had a a conversation with a course owner recently that had done that i just kind of explained well you know people take the game seriously it'd be like saying hey play like a game of basketball in your bare feet versus with like the tennis shoes you normally wear it's the same thing or play with like a mini basketball versus a real size basketball or go bowling. You can't use your own ball, right? Like you have to use the house balls. 
it it's just things like that that if you want to have those rules, that's fine. You just need to let people know. Farmington, everybody knows that you have to use a house ball. It's part of the rules. And some people might opt out of it because of that. But at least you know in advance on a tournament like that. And hope you know, you hopefully avoid some challenging moments on the day of a tournament because if you're the person organizing it and you're potentially playing in it too, that creates a really weird moment for you that probably isn't going to be great for your own game, you know, going in with that, uh, with that kind of spirit. But yeah. And then we have, um, we have a bunch of other tips and thoughts to share. Pat, I'll let you start with the first one. I mean, the simplest one is just playing a bunch of tournaments, right? That That's how I learned things I'd like to do, what I didn't like to do, what seemed successful, what wasn't successful. Obviously it's some of the stuff that we've gotten in trouble for, for commenting on, but like, that's it's like anything else the more experience you get from a player the more you'll appreciate how you're designing the tournaments for players at the end of the day because that's ultimately what they're for um so to the extent that you can you get in as many tournaments as you can and a variety of tournaments too so because there's definitely stuff that you'll cherry pick that works well and no stuff to get stay away from yeah, and you know, we talked about the Southwest Putters Tour earlier, but that is a tour organized by people that play competitively, and so the rules are based on that. Brock Gillespie, who was our last host or guest, played in a lot of putting events, and so he has that experience. I know Rick Baird had given us advice, you know, on how to, you know, on AMA stuff, and he just said, you know, coming, he generally had made a comment about that players running competitive organizations that they end up being really better because you have people that are considering play. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but Rick Baird's like a fountain of like knowledge. I mean, he's also played a perfect game of putt putt. So I think he's got, I think he's got a few tips to offer the world. He's got some, yeah, got, got some cred, but yeah, I mean, and that's what it boils down to, right? Like you, we think about this stuff because we have been on the playing side of it yes. and I guess ultimately this maybe isn't the right way to think about it, but I don't want people going on their own podcast complaining that we don't know what the hell we're doing on our tournaments. Yeah. Hey, I mean, please tell us if we are. Uh, well, yes, please tell us. <laughs> um, and I, I've, I've definitely changed some things in the tournaments I've ran based on feedback from people just in the last couple of years. So it's, I take it to heart and I really want to know what it impacts people. Um, I think it's important to build relationships with both the local businesses, potentially for sponsorship opportunities. If you're organizing the tournament, you want a little bit of money for that purse or with the local players, just so you get to know people out at the course who might consider going. Some of it's going to be instead of like putting up a flyer is a text chain. Can you guys make this date? You might do that early. Um, Registration. If you can have some sort of registration in advance, I think there's a lot of technology out there, like using Eventbrite and using a lot of other ticketing platforms that are not necessarily cheap, but as an organizer, they give you a better sense of how many people are going to be there and how you accommodate them. If you're doing a much longer event and maybe you build in a lunch period and if it's a course that has food, you want to collect information in advance about maybe people have allergies or 
you know, um, different dietary needs that you can collect that in online registration and ticketing, but have some sort of registration process in place that's pretty clear and that so people know how to do it. Um, our biggest thing with the AMA has been making sure that you document and share out about your tournament both before and after, whether it's photos of the course in advance, videos of the course, information about what's going on, promoting it, all of that you want to really share out well in advance to get people there. And then afterwards to celebrate the people that played because that's why they're going to come back. If you had 50 people one year and 30 people the next year, you know, it's like maybe people didn't have a really great experience or maybe your event didn't build on what had happened. So I think it's just getting the word out there that it's happening. Even if people find out about your tournament after the fact, there are several people that have told me that they found out about our next tournament that we organized by seeing the results from a previous event. They're like, how did I miss this? They get the FOMO and they're like, I'm, I'm signing up for this next thing for sure. Yeah, and I mean, there's varying levels of success of this as well but i mean reach out to your local media i mean yes i know newspapers are kind of on their way out for a lot of things but we've got the benefit of the collinsville press over a matterhorn which is not a huge paper but it's local the guy comes out every year takes some pictures does a nice article for us um you know we'd love to get some other things out there but at the very least it's worth just throwing it out there because even if you get one to land you know, that's something for you. But yeah, otherwise, social media is a great thing these days. It's yes. really easy to put stuff out there. Um, and if you have the ability to, I mean, even making websites and the cost of websites these days isn't hard. Like, no, put together, Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace or anything. Like, if you think you're going to run this tournament for multiple years, just throw together a website. I mean, I love going to historical tournament websites and just seeing like, everybody who's won and what the scores are. And that's yeah. like a really great archiving piece for, and the cost of doing it and the, the technological knowledge you need is, is pretty minimal these days. And, you know, on the media front, some like printed culture newspapers, local newspapers writing about mini golf. They love doing it. They're writing about movies or writing about music. They're writing about bingo. They're writing about all the kind of same things over and over. Writing about mini golf is a thing that, is a really easy thing to put out there. It's an attractive thing for people to read about. And frankly, it's why a lot of our local tournaments have been covered by local like TV stations and ABC and a Fox affiliate have covered either our tournaments or a couple of putts because they just like telling stories about mini golf. Those weird TV morning news shows that are going on well before some of us are like, alive and ready yep. in the world they're constantly looking for new stories they want to hear about cool new restaurants and happenings and holiday things you tell them about a mini golf event that's happening they're only going to do that feature one time a year and they're doing 250 or so broadcasts a year they're constantly looking for content connect with those people on social media drop the station an email in many cases, if you just get the word out there, they'll find you. We did not write our ABC affiliate or Fox affiliate. We just put the word out there and they came to us. So some of it's just if the information is out there, they'll find you. Yeah, I mean, one is here if part of 
putting on a tournament is hopefully you know you would like to play in it right because i think a lot of people who are passionate about it part of it is you want to play it tom and i both play in our own tournaments it's a very difficult thing to do i think there's a level of the tournament at which you probably can't do that effectively um i know we've seen aaron have some struggles with it as the thousand dollar tournaments grown. I've considered what I'm going to do with it this year with Matterhorn. But for most of the tournaments, if you're talking 20, 25 people, like you can play and run it. Some of it goes back to making sure you have some people you can tap into to help out. If there's people from the course who can help collect scorecards and stuff. And then there's also the balance of making sure that whatever you're doing doesn't favor your organizing group too much. And honestly, there's not a whole lot of ways where you can tilt it into your favor too many times because you still have to go out there. You still have to play the course. You still have to play against the other people. Um, But you don't, at the very least, you know, I always think about in accounting and auditing, we always have the independence in fact and appearance. You can be independent of the tournament very easily, in fact, but you definitely want it in appearance because you don't want people being like, well, I showed up at this tournament and the organizer won it or the organizer kid won it because, you know, he was put in the best group or got the best ruling or whatever. So, you know, you don't want to shortchange yourself because you you can do well. You can win your own tournament, but just be conscious of as you're making decisions, what are other people going to look at that and the conclusions they're going to reach from it yeah and some of it's just going to be mentally also balancing that organizing your own tournament is going to be very difficult to try to win it organize it and just go in with that mindset i've come in second in three of the miniest opens and the first one i was like be weird if i win the first ever tournament that i put on and it went to a putt off and I wanted to win and I just couldn't win in the putt off and that's great. But, you know, I wanted everything to be above board. And I frankly think if I would have won that year, people would have been like, oh, this person who's like a mini golf fanatic won it in a place that didn't have many mini golf tournaments wouldn't have been the best result. Weirdly freed me up in my thinking of playing that I didn't <laughs> feel is tight. I don't know. But it, it it's just something to consider in all of it. It's also exhausting. You're doing both. By the end of that day, no matter how long your tournament is, you are going to be wiped out by mentally having to think through all the organization stuff and then the 18 holes that you have to play over and over again. And frankly, you are going to have to, in the heat of the moment, double check scores. And you're probably going to want someone else to help out with that as well and have those conversations in advance. Some free tools that can make things easier or to document your tournament. Google Sheets is really, really good and free. And if you figure it how to set it up well on your mobile device, you can use that really nicely to put in some events. But Bond Golf uh, Arena uh, if you can figure out how to use that program for the PC, it's the international standard. You can get a lot of lane statistics, uh, whole statistics, you know, would be probably the way to say it in the States, but you can get <laughs> statistics on how people have played, how people have played on different holes and how holes playing over a tournament and all sorts of stuff that's 
really useful information to have out there in the world and they're free. So take advantage of them. Um, you have to be creative to make them really work for you, but I'm sure there's some great resources kind of already talked about marketing the event, but more than that, in the way that you market and the way that you put it out there, make sure that you're making the event inviting and fun. Some of that can be the design. Some of it can be the spirit of it. Some of it can be the way that you are putting it out there. I think it's just like anybody can play. We really want to invite people to come in and have some fun. And maybe even if it, you're out there, it's like, yeah, you know, here's like a shot on this hole for a person that maybe is really new to the game and you're trying to like show them how people can get the best result on a hole that can't hurt. And if nothing else, don't hesitate to ask others for advice or help. And that can include us. I ran my first tournament in 2020 because Pat and I had a lot of time during the pandemic. And we <laughs> talked about doing this holy moly recap thing because we had nothing better to do on Fridays and figured we were talking about it via messaging. And I was like, maybe I should run a tournament. Maybe I should run a tournament this fall. Maybe I should talk to the course owner. And a lot of what I figured out was advice that Pat had offered. I was like, this is kind of what I'm trying to do. And I think a lot of people have been like, well, you can't do a single round championship. And I think you had given me a lot of advice. Well, it's like, well, you know, with the par 66, that right. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not like every other course. So you could do a single round and feel okay with it. But ultimately it was like, let's just try this out and make it as easy as possible for people to play. All they have to do is play one round to get a qualifying score. And if they show up for a championship, all they need to do is play a second round. For the average person that plays mini golf a lot, that seems like nothing. But for everybody else, a round of mini golf per year is probably the max they play. That most people don't play every year. In the same way, there's probably bowlers out there that's like, oh my God, I must bowl all the time. I can't tell you the last time I bowled. And I can't really tell you the last time I played a full round of pool. And these are competitive sports that are out there that are niche sports like mini golf as well that people enjoy and it's a pastime, but it's not a thing that people do on the daily. So if you want to get new people into the game, especially in a place where you don't have any history of competitive mini golf, start, start easy, make an easy entry point. I mean, for me, even the best thing that some courses do is just publish your low round of the day. Have people come in and show their scorecard and say, you know, low round of the day, you get a free novelty ball or a free game or shout out on social media. Like that's an easy way for courses to get into competitive mini golf on like the most basic level. And then everything else is sort of an extension from there. So I think having entry points past that, here's the top score of the day is what we're talking about. But sometimes that's where it starts is that's how you get people thinking about that. And if you're not doing that kind of stuff, it's really hard for people to get to that next level. So that's all I have. Ask us for advice. And if you have advice for us, we're happy to listen to it because 
there's a million ways to run tournaments and we're always curious to hear about different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think the last thought I have on that and I'll cover kind of a corollary to this when we get down to the end of the episode here, but if you're a competitive player and you're not necessarily interested in organizing the tournaments and stuff, but you know, the tournament organizer, I'm not saying you have to offer to help out with any of the tournament stuff, but even when you're on the course during practice or whatever, try to be an ambassador for that tournament as well. Talk with the new players, show them the shots. And I think some of this comes naturally to a lot of players, but there's a lot you can do to further competitive mini golf without actually having to run the tournament or to be the organizer or be people making the calls. And even like Tom said, like, even if you're just willing to be like, Hey, I'll, I'll do double check the scorecards for you at the end of the day. Like that helps us, collectively do the whole you know rising tide lifts all the boats sort of thing together so i just ask that like i don't think organizers ever really are going to turn down help from a seasoned putter out there if you come up and say hey i'm willing to to make this tournament better for everybody yeah and i think yeah that perfectly sums it up and hopefully if you're out there and you're thinking about running a tournament just do it Give it a shot, and uh, if we can offer any tips or advice, happy to do it. We, again, did this episode because we get a lot of emails and a lot of calls from people that are like, I want to do this, and our advice is all of these things above, and then ultimately just give it a give it a whirl and see what happens. We mentioned them earlier, but we would like to thank our sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf. They have made our membership program free again for 2023. If you're not familiar with Walkabout, it is VR mini golf. That is the ultimate experience and probably the most loved multiplayer game in virtual reality, or at least for us. It's available on a number of platforms, and we both use the MetaQuest headsets. We love the base game which gives you a number of courses, but really enthralled by all of the other options that they have out there. They're constantly recreating the game, both from a design and gameplay aspect. Recent course, Upside Town, probably drives some people nuts that really want to go through the motions of a normal swing, but it is really a wild experience and we know from things that walkabout has put out in the world about collaborations with meow wolf and little easter eggs that they've been hiding in courses that they're not even close to being done with being creative with mini golf so kudos to them for that and thank you to them for really investing and supporting what we're doing with the american mini golf alliance in helping grow the game of mini golf and to make it a welcoming and inviting environment. So thank you, Walkabout. So that brings us to our big thoughts, mini golf. So as courses are opening throughout the U.S. with the winter ending, we talked a little bit earlier, the best advocates for mini golf are us ourselves. If you're a competitive player, we talked about organizers sharing out information about tournaments but you yourself as a player share that you're playing in the tournaments share the recaps that are done share pictures of it share your experience through a blog even if you've still got one of those 
get that out into the world so people know what they're doing from a competitive standpoint. And then if you're a casual player or you're like us competitive players when we just go out and have fun, share those pictures and videos too, and especially of the courses that you love. I mean, still many of our local courses are smaller, family may not have a family run, may not have a big web presence or big marketing budgets. So word of mouth for these businesses goes a long way to get them in the public consciousness and helps ultimately the game continue to grow throughout the world. So the same thought goes for our tournaments as well. We don't got big marketing budgets for any of our tournaments. We rely solely on getting that stuff out on social media and love when our players share the experience that they have out there, share the, the pictures, share the, the fun of getting aces throughout there. So that's all we can ask for. If we're not the best advocates for mini golf, no one else will be. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt when ready. That was a long one. That was a long one.